This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. Regions, member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. This week, my guest is Max Olson, national college football writer from The Athletic. Max and I hit on a bunch of topics that are in the news this week, including where things stand on whether or not we're actually going to have a football season in the fall. Max and I try not to speculate too much. What we got into a lot of is the challenges of reporting relevant information when there is so much uncertainty. We also talk football. TCU signed a five-star tailback who had a very unusual recruitment. Rutgers landed a transfer quarterback from Nebraska. Tennessee is cleaning up on the recruiting trail. And Jim Harbaugh has some radical ideas. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Westwood One Podcast, Apple Podcast, just about anywhere you like to get your podcast. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast is Max Olson from The Athletic, resident and resident of, uh, well, well, actually, you're back in Nebraska, but are you in Lincoln or Omaha? Lincoln, Nebraska. You are in Lincoln. Uh, Remind me, did you grow up in Lincoln? Yeah, grew up in Lincoln um, from the age of six all the way through, all the way through college, went to Nebraska. So I moved it was, uh, and then we went down to Austin for seven years and absolutely loved it, but made sense to, uh, you know, as we're getting to the end of our 20s here, it made sense to, to come <laughs> back home. Austin was a hell of a place to spend our 20s, though. I promise you that. Yeah, Austin's a great 20s city, and uh, Lincoln <laughs> would strike me strikes me as being a little more of, a, of an adult city. Um, Slightly more affordable, yes. Yes, in, in many, way, many, many ways. So, um we're going to have a wide-ranging conversation here, but I've tried to make this podcast something where we don't get too bogged down in the virus and mm-hmm. the pandemic, except to provide occasionally some news updates that are relevant to college sports. I haven't done that in the last couple of weeks. I feel like now's a good time. I feel like there's been a fair amount of newsy, kind of newsy things around college sports and the pan and related to the pandemic over the last week or so, but actually, I just want to almost start with this. I throw this out to you: Have you found it challenging to report and to be engaged in the reporting of how this will play out? Because I think we are obligated to try to get some information to the public on mm-hmm. how it might play out, how it will play out over the next couple of months as far as football season and college sports going forward. But I also find myself thinking it's so speculative. Do I want to constantly be sort of throwing ifs and ands and buts and, and having this in quoting different people saying the same thing all the time? So I'm wondering how you've engaged as a reporter, or even as a reader, as a, as a consumer with the reporting around how things will play out with the college football season. You know, and you you've done a great job of covering this so far. W- wouldn't you agree that this has been um, just the day to day of this has been pretty head spinning at times? Uh, yes, and it's the the hardest challenge is when to enter the day to day and to say, listen, yeah. you know, I don't know if this is moving the ball. Like, I, I don't know if we need to report <laughs> s- another person, yeah. another AD or another commissioner saying something slightly different. That's been the biggest challenge for me. Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, by the time we're done, like taping this podcast, like we we, we could probably dig into like where things stand as of Wednesday morning. <laughs> But things might be completely different by Thursday morning, you know, and that, and that's the thing that's especially this week feels a little crazy is just sort of the day to day trickle of um, different bodies and groups and conferences 
saying to things or making decisions is, is just so all over the place right now. And in a way that it gets a little bit confusing because you're wondering, you certainly can understand why um, conferences and schools are having to like address their budget problems, you know, immediately. You understand that part of it. But some of this, when you start talking about landing on decisions for the fall um, as of mid-May, it, seem, it still seems a little bit jarring when there's just still, still so much we we don't know. And you certainly assume that these ultimate you know, ultimately these decisions will be made based on the best information you have available to you at the time, which you would think is later in time. But, um, it's, it, with our, with our sport that we cover, um, it's, it's, it's a mess, man. It's, it's, it's crazy to try and and keep track and follow and cover because like, you know, at the NBA, we're, we're seeing that play out right now too. And it's, it's pretty straightforward with the NBA. I know there's a lot of parties involved, but at the end of the day, the NBA has a commissioner, and they have a players union and, and those, those two sides will basically work out whatever the compromise is like with, with, with college athletics. I mean, who's the boss, you know what I mean? And it's, it's not just the, the, you know, the issues between, um, you know, Mark Emmert and the autonomy leagues, which, which you saw rise up when it came time to make a decision with the, you know, with March madness. But ultimately you're, you're also talking about the, the status of universities and you're talking about well, what will these each of these state you know states and state governments allow you to do? So it's it's really it's impossible. If, if anyone tells you exactly they they know exactly how this is going to play out, I I think they're full of it at this point. Yeah, I think what you try to do is provide information that will give insight to the public on how decisions are being made and who mm-hmm. is making those decisions. And again, I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. it. It's hard. And because of all the things that you're saying, I think it would be inevitable. And this is not me being a cynic. I think it's inevitable that whatever we come up with, whatever happens in the fall or maybe this winter and spring is going to be messy for all the reasons that you're laying out. And for all the reasons that we've seen as we've sort of covered this over the last few weeks and really a few months now, I don't think there is any way we will have anything. I mean, of course, it's not going to look normal, right? I mean, there's no way yeah. where this is going to look normal. But the idea that this won't be a little messy, maybe at times uncomfortable and maybe unsatisfying, I just don't know how you can avoid that. But that doesn't mean we can't still have a football season and actually still be able to get some enjoyment and joy out of it. I just think we have to be very – I just talking to an AD today and he was like, listen, we, we just got to have very thick skin because things yeah. are not going to go well. And when there are going to be points when something goes poorly and when that happens, we're going to take a lot of hits on it. <laughs> I, I, I've said this before to, to folks you know that we work with. Um, at some, I, I really feel strongly at some point in time, they're going to make, um, you know, if, if hypothetically, uh, people move forward with, with a fall season, you know, if they're going to make a plan based on the, the best information that they have, and that plan might be flat out wrong. Right. And we're all just going to have to like, kind of cross our fingers that nothing disastrous happens mm-hmm. that, that forces that to be. Um, you know, totally rejected and canceled, right? And, and there's, and it feels it's some, it's hard to talk about this stuff because you, it's hard to sort of know, like, are we talking about the right things with this stuff, right? I mean, because there's, there's obviously there's the structure of, um, you know, what what would a season look like? When would it be? Who all is committed to playing in it and all that stuff? But then there's also the very real problem that we're gonna have to figure out of, well, okay, if we try to go forward with something. Um, how are we, how is everybody getting tested? How are, how are we doing this in a safe way? And, and what happens when inevitably somebody gets sick? Mm-hmm. Right. And then the trickle and the ripple effect of that becomes, can that team play? Can that team that, can that, then the teams that that team has played play? What happens if the team can't play to the team it's supposed to play? <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm not. Trying, you know, I'm not laughing because this is funny. I'm no, laughing because I mean, it is. And, and it's crazy. The reality is, we saw it in the spring, right? That once Rudy Gobert tested positive, then everyone realized, oh crap, we got to put this whole thing on pause. You know, and 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 you wonder, you know, how does how would college football respond if you know if 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 that day comes 
in, and they're trying to put a season together. But um, also, I, I, I'm, I'm curious for your thoughts on the thing that we're I think it feels like we're talking about a lot more this week. And that is this real this real fascinating problem of um, when it comes to making these decisions. Can can these things be done in a uniform way or is it just going to be an extreme amount of splintering? I suspect it might be more uniform than maybe we are even giving credit for because I think everybody's motivated. It really is in everybody's best interest to have some uniformity. And um, cooperate with each other. And, yeah, and to cooperate. Yeah, it's, it's in everybody's best interest. So I think that that simply because it's in your best interest, you will try to make it out that way. So I think that there's a possibility that it could be more like like I, I think that after this past week or so, it's very easy to say, man, it is just going to be a free for all. <laughs> like we're just going to have, <laughs> you know, the Pac-12 is not going to play at all. And the SEC is going to start on Labor Day. And just like, but you realize schools just canceled these games and they got to find all these non-conference matchups and all that. Kind of, yeah, it's, it, it becomes it, 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 it could get really out of hand. And then there's also and again, talking to a conversation I had with an AD, it's like, what are you playing for if you're just playing by yourself like, to a certain degree? And how much can you salvage? But I don't know. I think when there is motivation to do something, it is more likely that it will happen. Uh, I always go back to like, you know, I'm, I'm a big baseball fan, right? If you're motivated to trade somebody, most likely you're going to trade that guy, right? If you're really motivated, you know, or even in college football, if you're motivated to fire your coach, you will fire your coach. If you're right. motivated to keep your coach, you will find reasons to keep your coach. Um, so I think that there's enough motivation to find a uniform solution that it makes it pretty a decent chance that they will. But I just worry about the idea what you're talking about, that it falls apart as the season goes along that, you know, and this again, I don't want to get we don't even really have time to, like, go down that road because there's still so much that has to get solved before. August. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And that's why I think the season itself has a chance to be very muddied and messy because I just I think inevitably there will be issues within it. And again, I'm not a virus expert, so I don't want to like slide into no. that kind of conversation. But it, it just one of the things I'm sort of bracing for when I talk to some experts, including one who lives in my house, is that um, <laughs> is that we will make some missteps along the way that set us back, that we see some progress here and that the setbacks will affect, you know, what we hope to be a college football season. I know that's pretty minor in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, sports are important and they and they show a sense of normalcy and they give us something to do while we're sitting at home. So they're not completely unimportant. But, I, yeah, I just worry about like sort of I think that there's there's this sense around the country of like, oh, we might be past it. But when you talk to the experts, they tell you, no, we're not. Uh, And so what happens if we slide back? So I don't know. We have no answers here, but I just do think that there's, again, an inevitability that this will be messy. Yeah, well, and I I think, you know, part of part of what makes this, um, you know, just so dizzying to try to keep track of on a daily basis is that I think there is a lot of truth to, um, you know, I think I think just as we saw in March, um, you know, probably it probably is important for you and me to also be keeping an eye on what's going on with Major League Baseball and what's going on with the NBA, because I think there's probably, um, you know, somebody in pro sports is going to have to kind of take the lead on this thing and 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 be the canary in the coal mine, unfortunately, and and try um, try to launch their sport and and figure out best practices and 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 how well that goes and the solutions they find probably will inform. Um, what college football feels comfortable with with doing in September, or, and and if that if that is impossible, then I I think that uh, unfortunately I think it makes it look, look a little more gloomy for for our sport, you know. Yeah, we'll we'll cross our fingers and see where we go. I don't know if we moved the ball at all on that, but I figured it was worth having that conversation on here because it seemed like I think people need to hear how exasperated we are about <laughs> trying to report on this stuff because that's just the reality, man. It's just. Well, you know, I, I I wish I could give everybody a really uh, you know definitive, confident answer about this stuff, but there's just there's just thousands of factors, you know. Hey, so let's talk a little about football. And you wrote about this this week. I figure if there's one reporter, uh, national college football writer, who has seen Zach Evans play football, and Zach Evans is a five star 
recruit. He's the last, basically the last major piece of the 2020 recruiting class that signed. Mm -hmm. He had a a roller coaster signing uh, or recruiting period, and he signed with TCU earlier this week, and he is a, a stud. From what everybody says, I have never, you know, I've only seen maybe a YouTube highlight or, or so, but he's a big deal and he landed at TCU and it was a long and winding road for him to get there. So you wrote a little bit about him and how he ended up at TCU. Give us a little idea of, again, his long and winding road and how good is this guy? <laughs> yeah, the Zach Evans story, it's one of those where it's like how much time you got, you know, because yeah. he's, he, it's it's quite a it's quite a tale um, from start to finish here, this is a kid who um, really has been on the recruiting radar for for three years now, um, or maybe longer. Um, a, a kid that very early on in his high school career at at North Shore out in Houston, um, it was you know the the hype started really early for him um, with people saying that he might be you know the best running back prospect to come out of the state of Texas since Adrian Peterson, and so he's he's had to kind of wear that reputation for years here. Um, and, and that has created, you know, a a lot of interest in, in where he was going and, you know, going into, you know, coming out of his junior year, um, you know, had a great season, North Shore wins a state title, you know, just a super talented player, you know, a, a kid who really had all these options in front of him. Um, this is, this is a kid who, who went through a very, very long recruitment and a lot of people probably, you know, assumed he would go to, to Texas A&M or Texas, um, but he kind of played the recruiting games. You know, he was linked it to LSU at one point, to Alabama, to AM, never did commit. Um, you know, put out his list and 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 kind of played some games with that stuff. And ultimately a bunch of these schools backed off because, you know, they there there were, you know, some not a little bit of red flags in just the recruitment of of you know the maturity of of Zach, but but all kids kind of do that at that age anyway. But the senior season at North Shore. Um, there were, there were a bunch of, bunch of issues. He, he got suspended for two games early on in his season for disciplinary issues. Um, he showed up, uh, at halftime of one of his playoff games in high school, um, and, and said he was taking the ACT that morning. So that's why he, you know, he, he couldn't play, uh, in the first half of his playoff game. And then, you know, of course shows up and rushes for 176 yards <laughs> and two touchdowns. Cause he's, he's just that good. But, um, the big, the big red flag was, um, that for the state title game at North Shore had a, a big rematch with Duncanville and, and he was sent home, uh, from the state title game, wasn't allowed to play in it, um, because he feuded with his coaches. He, they, they asked him to turn over his cell phone, like all of his other teammates do at curfew the night before the game. And he refused to do it and he fought with them and, uh, got sent home. And so this happened, uh, a few days after he secretly signed with Georgia um, mm. during the uh, early, early signing, signing period. period, right? And he was planning to announce his his uh, his his um, that he was going to Georgia as an early enrollee uh, at the Under Armour All American Game on on January second. Right. And, and the night say, before that's, that, that's a common thing that, that is sure, starting now. Sure, that, it's uh, a they, common thing to to sit on that and announce it on national TV, right. and then he was going to go from there, go over to Georgia. And the night before that, um, he finds out that he needs to cancel his um, cancel his his announcement because Georgia was having second thoughts and George, Georgia ultimately um, backed off and Zach Evans got his release from Georgia uh, on January 7th to, to go wherever he wants. And he he, he did also, you know, he, this is a, a young man who's had some things going on in his life, too. Uh, he, he cited that his grandmother, who's who's a really important figure in his life, is, was really ill and he wanted to stay closer to home. And so I think that was a factor ultimately in, in choosing to go to TCU. But um, this is a kid who's been kind of stuck ever since January. Um, he's been kind of stuck. It's been very quiet. No one's really known where he was going to end up. Um, and this is, this is, you know, he, he took official visits to Tennessee and he took one to Ole Miss and he was going to go check out Florida before the, the coronavirus shut everything down. And then, you know, out of the blue on Monday morning, uh, he has enrolled in online class at TCU. TCU offered him in February 2018, and he has never once talked about TCU. I'm not even sure if he's visited TCU. Um, they never made his list of his top schools. So it was a complete curveball, um, but one that kind of makes sense for how unpredictable this thing went for Zach Evans. And um, it's, a, it's a fascinating ending. Never would have really seen that coming. It's the first five-star high school signee in TCU history. And um, 
you know, I, I, it's I, I you, you hope that going there and having that structure with that that program with Gary Patterson, maybe that can kind of give him the the structure and discipline he needs to kind of get things back on track and and really have a have a really productive career there. You, you hope hope the best for him. Yeah, I, listen, I I think it's it's fair to be a little skeptical and to think okay maybe he ended up at TCU because a lot of other places just bailed on him, um, right. Uh, clearly, Georgia did. Right? I mean, so so I think yeah. it, I think it's fair to to play that out to some maybe some other bigger schools that that co- sort of say, you know what, kid, we have a lot of four or five star options here, so we don't. Which is tends to be the way this works. And this is a remove from Zach Evans. And you know, when you see sometimes it's not uncommon for when you see a highly recruited player end up a little farther away from what you consider the elite schools, even though he was a player who could probably compete at the elite schools. A lot of times there is some type of red flag attached to them because the elite schools go, wait a second, we have our choice of blue chippers. We don't necessarily need to, to deal with your red flags. So, you know, to a certain degree, that could be to TCU's benefit. Uh, you know, again, this sounds like a player who has a chance to be an All-American, you know, leave early, the type of back that really makes a huge impact. And maybe even early on, of course, what kind of impact freshmen are going to make early on is an yeah. interesting question around the country because all those early enrollees, while they may have gotten to campus on time, and obviously Evans would have been one but wasn't, but now even all those early enrollees and the guys, like you know, one of the things that's great about the early enrollee process and the summer, once those kids are in, that's been the reason, that's been one of the reasons why freshmen make such a big impact. I have no idea what that's going to look like this year. <laughs> I, I, I'm totally with you. Um, and, and the Evans one is fascinating because, you know, he, since he was supposed to be an early enrollee, he kind of hasn't really been doing anything from January till now. I think he's been training and kind of laying low. Um, so you, you're certainly curious kind of what kind of shape he would he would um, be in right now. You, you're curious when would he even be able to arrive on the on the campus in Fort Worth there. Um, and you know, this is a guy who I, I think this coaching staff is, is going to have to really keep a close eye on and, and really give him a lot of support and a lot of help. And, um, there's probably going to be, you know, I, I've, I've covered Gary Patterson for a long time. There's there, you know, I, I, he, I, there definitely could be times when he ends up in the doghouse there because it's, um, you know, Gary Patterson is, uh, is not the easiest guy to play for his players love him, but it's, you know, he runs a strict program. And so uh, I'm really interested to see how that fit works out. And, and it's a really interesting opportunity for TCU um, to to get an elite player like that into their program. Um, you know, they've continued to produce uh, first round picks. They had two this year with Jalen Rager and, and um, uh, Jeff Gladney. And then, you know, Ross, Ross Blacklock was also a top 40 pick. They, they've churned out NFL guys, but um, even in joining the Big 12, they haven't really had that many four-star kids from the state of Texas come to TCU. Um, only only like fourteen in eight years, and so getting a guy like Zach Evans is definitely going to get the attention of kids in in the Houston area. That wow, if you can go be just as successful um, in staying closer to home at TCU, uh, that could really open some doors for for that program. If Zach Evans, you know, takes takes this opportunity seriously and and really gets. Uh, you know, gets things together here and and uh, handles his business. So uh, you you really hope it it works out, and and you know you could see why Gary Patterson and his staff would roll the dice on this one. Let's go to a world where the season is starts on time and everything is sort of relatively normal. Um, I love it. TCU it. TCU was not. I've said this on this podcast before, but I'll say it to you. TCU was not much different last year than Baylor. They were a similar team, but TCU had none of the breaks. Baylor caught a few breaks. Baylor had a transcendent season where it went to the Sugar Bowl. TCU didn't even make a bowl game because that's sort of the way things are in the Big 12. The line between having a breakout season and having a season where you end up not making a bowl game is pretty thin. It it could be just the difference of a couple of injuries, a couple of close games, and quarterback play. Baylor had... A lot of health, some good fortune in close games, and a pretty decent, for the most part, until later in the year, and some pretty decent play at quarterback, whereas Mm -hmm. TCU, that all blew up. So they can't control the injuries and the close games. To a certain extent, you can't control that, but you can control the quarterback stuff. I mean, you know, if you just have competent quarterback play on that TCU team last year, it probably makes a big difference. Where might that come from this year? Yeah, it's... 
it's 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 interesting. TCU just has not been that great over the last two seasons. Um, I, I'm excluding, of course, the the Cheez It Bowl against uh, against Cal, which is an all timer. Of course, we we all it's we all remember that fondly. Right. But um, you know, last season, um, even with all the NFL talent they had, uh, they had a true freshman quarterback in Max Duggan who you know, had some ups and downs. Um, you know, he did beat Texas and, and did give them a chance in some games, but, uh, you know, TCU lost, lost a bunch of games that you, you'd be surprised if they lose them last year, um, based on just the talent they had coming back. And, um, you know, I was surprised that it came down to the end there and then losing to uh, a West Virginia team that also didn't go to a bowl, uh, in their finale to, to not be able to go to a bowl game there. So, while they played, you know, they beat Texas and they played Baylor really close and they played Oklahoma really close and um, you know, played K-State close. They they had some nice moments, but um the, the this is a team that can absolutely uh, use an injection of of Zach Evans especially after losing their their two senior running backs, uh Darius Anderson and and Shea Lua. So, um it's it's an interesting time for TCU. They they brought Doug Meacham back onto their staff actually to help Sonny Cumbie again, which I think is a really interesting choice. There was some speculation that maybe they would be making an OC change and, and Gary Patterson stuck with stuck with Cumby and brought Meacham back, which I think is, uh, I can't wait to see how that works again. Cause you saw how well that worked with Trevon Boykin back in the day. But um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that's true th- of the big 12 that you're going to get stuck in a lot of close games. And in uh, a lot of times it's going to come down to your quarterback play and they're sticking with Max Duggan, um, but he's, he's got to get better. We're going to take a quick break here on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast with Max Olson, National College Football Writer from The Athletic. Be back and touch a little, do a little Tennessee. They've been hot on the recruiting trail. Jim Harbaugh gave us some content fodder uh, last week. And I also, there was a big, there was actually a transfer in your backyard, out of your backyard uh, that happened today that I want to ask you about. We'll be back with Max Olson from The Athletic right after this. This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. Regions, member FDIC. And we're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Max Olson, National College Football Writer from The Athletic. So let's start in your backyard because, yeah, we actually had some transfer news today. There's still transferring going on. These kids are doing it without really knowing a whole lot about these schools that they're landing at. So good luck and God bless them. So Noah Vedral is now a two-time transfer. He was a quarterback at UCF. He followed Scott Frost from UCF to Nebraska and now is getting out of Nebraska and decided to go play across the Big Ten at Rutgers. Uh, that He made that announcement a few hours before we started taping here. Give me a little rundown on Vedral and what this sort of means for Nebraska. I, I guess what it means for Nebraska is not a lot of depth. Yeah, it's interesting. Nebraska felt like they were in, you know, tremendous shape with their quarterback room, um, you know, in 2019 and, and what they've built there. Um, but you know, when you when you have a bunch of uh, qualified guys there, then then somebody, you know, everybody's going to want a chance to start. And and for Noah Vedral, um, the fact that he lost out on the chance to go through spring ball and really push Adrian Martinez for the starting job. Uh, made him think, all right, he, you know, this is a kid who felt like he was ready to be a starter and just knew he re- really was kind of he, he'd lost that chance to compete for it at Nebraska this spring. So he he put his name in the portal to see what's out there. This is a kid who, um, you know, Husker fans have a lot of affection for. There there were definitely times last season when Adrian Martinez struggled and people wanted to see Noah Vedral in the game to see what he could do. Um, really, really smart, um, bright kid, really understands the offense. Um, he was, a, he was definitely an asset for Nebraska, um, even in his limited playing time for him. Um, and, and I think he's gonna, I think he, he's gonna have a chance to, I, I don't see why he wouldn't, um, be, be the front runner now to start for Rutgers. Um, I, I think he's, uh, he fits what Sean Gleason would want to do offensively. He, he comes with that experience from the UCF and Nebraska offense of he knows how to get it out quickly. And, um, I, I don't think the transition is going to be tough for him at Rutgers and, and that, that quarterback room at Rutgers is, is obviously, um, more than a bit unproven. So I think he, as a grad transfer, he'd go there and really have a good opportunity, um, to, to really show what he wanted to show at Nebraska and, and 
never totally got a chance to do. And and I think Gleason was a great hire for Rutgers, and I think he's going to make them fun offensively. And uh, Vedral could be a good guy to get that thing going. Yeah, uh, fun eventually. <laughs> well, and, and you know, the part of the thing with Rutgers is, uh, you're right, the quarterback room needed some help, but I also think you have a certain amount of shell shock in that quarterback room. Like like I, I like Artur Sitkowski, there may be a player in there. That might be a player that you could work with. But I also don't know if after coming off of last season, there is much to, left to work with. Like I, I just think some of the players who have been through there have been through so much bad that if nothing else, I think what you needed was an injection of somebody who could provide some hope and optimism who hasn't sort of been through the ringer. Yeah, I think you're right. And and it's funny, like, so when Noah Vedral transferred from UCF to Nebraska, it was, it was just as Scott Frost and... Um, you know, their quarterback coach, Mario Verduzco, and those guys got to Lincoln. So he shows up and he he basically helped teach the quarterback room uh, the offense, even though he was the new guy. And I think that's probably how it could be at Rutgers, too, because he probably will be able to pick up on what they're doing really quickly. And and he might just be a guy that helps make uh, Rutgers quarterback room better because of his experience. And, um, you know, he's just a really, really bright uh, ahead of his years kind of kid. I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up in coaching at some point. Um, and yeah, you're right. The, the Rutgers, uh, quarterback room, um, has, has been through it for the past few years. So I, I think a kid like this, you know, they, they obviously have brought in transfers over the years with, with very, very mixed success, but, uh, I could see, obviously it's not the ideal time to, to be making a transfer. Um, but I could see this working out for Rutgers. So the other thing that's becoming more prevalent is these uh, the Tom Savage plan, which is the multiple transfer, especially at quarterbacks. <laughs> I think of like Luke Starkle, um, I think is now on his third Nick team. Starkle. Nick yes. Starkle, I'm sorry. Nick yes. Starkle is now on, I believe, his third team going the A&M, Arkansas, I believe San Jose State that's now. That's correct. Um, and this is becoming, again, a little more prominent, I, I, I think, as because what ends up happening is, well, a couple of, there's a couple of reasons. Obviously, you have waivers. You have the ability to grad transfer. You also have the ability to grad transfer more than once. We talk about early enrollees. These kids are coming in early. They're graduating in like two years, basically. Right. So they're right. leaving a school with two or three, like Joe Burrow, for example, with two or three years left of eligibility. So... Now they can grad transfer more than once. And listen, I, it's at points like that when you sort of understand like why coaches maybe are a little worried about all this transferring <laughs> and all the loosening of the transfer rules. And if we get a one-time exception and a grad transfer option so kids could one-time exception and then grad transfer, maybe not. That might change. But you're already seeing this like multiple transfer thing. And again, like it's at points like this you can understand why coaches go – is this really what we want to be doing? Of course, listen, I support the kids having a lot of freedom, but there, you can definitely find yourself thinking like, is this really the way we want to go here? Yeah, no, this is totally the plan now for quarterbacks. I, and I think probably their their high school coaches and their parents get it that this is sort of how you have to have plan it out now is you come in as an early enrollee and you try to get your degree in two and a half years, basically, by the end of your second year in the program. And so um, the fact that there are some really sharp kids that are capable of doing that, uh, it's it's wild. But that you, you have to kind of do that, not just to try and, you know, obviously it's smart to do that, to try and, um, you know, chase your master's and all sorts of stuff while you're still in college. But it also gives you an out after after two years if it hasn't gone exactly the way you thought it would if you haven't been the starter or if you've been the starter and you've lost your job or gotten hurt or whatever. Um, I think you look at I, I studied this back on on signing day, like just the the number of top fifty quarterbacks uh, that actually make it past that that second year is is a pretty small number. And the ones that do are the ones that end up being the three and four year starters. So if it doesn't work out for you early on, kids are going to move on. Yeah, Zach Barrett from Football Scoop did the research on on a thing that I was sort of like toying around in my head, and I noticed that he had actually done done the work for me to a certain degree. And he was talking about basically, if you looked at the start of last season, you are most teams are starting a freshman, a player who started as a freshman, or a transfer. That's mm-hmm. basically so. Basically, if you're not starting. By your sophomore year, if you look at your sophomore year, the, uh, either heading into the season or at some point, I would say by the spring of your sophomore year, if you were a quarterback and you look around the room and you say, boy, I'm not going to be first string this year, I'm probably not. It's, this is probably not working out for me at this school. 
Uh, and that sounds crazy. And again, I know coaches will cringe and maybe even some fans will cringe. But the way the, the machine is moving now, again, you're starting your freshman. You're starting a kid who started as a freshman. or, you're, or And that's the thing with the schools, too. If they, if they have players who they're not sold on by sophomore year, they're going into the market. So it's, not a, two, it's yeah. a two-way street here. If you get to spring and you have a room full of guys that you've been around for about two years— you may all of, all of a sudden have already made the decision that we can do better. Well, and and not you know not to mention that, and then you know random bad luck happens too. I mean, you look at um, <laughs> you look at JT Daniels is is in the portal right exactly. now, and and you know he starts as a freshman, you get hurt as a sophomore, so now he's he's a redshirt freshman in eligibility who who's already in the portal and, and looking to make a move, um, and 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 would. If there's a you know one time exception, then then you know would have potentially an opportunity if this had been approved to to go play be a starter somewhere, um, you know as a as in in your third year right away. I mean, there's been a bunch of the you know Felipe Franks was going to be a, a guy that uh, you know probably would have played out the whole time at Florida. He get hurt, gets hurt, he moves on. Jacob Beeson losing his job at Georgia. There's just also a bunch of these guys that do have it does work out for them, and then one one bad break, one injury. Then you got to go. And their presence, the Felipe Franks, the JT Daniels, the Jacob Eason's, when that type of player ends up in the portal, again, that's when the schools that are in need, or Jamie Newman, when the schools that have some need will go, well, wait a second. I may like the guy I recruited, but I like that guy a lot better. Exactly. So yeah. so that's a domino that falls. So then that kid that was at the school, you know, I, I am – I don't know what Georgia's depth chart is, but I imagine there's at least one or two kids at Georgia that saw Jamie Newman uh, step onto campus and thought, hmm, what am I doing here, right? <laughs> and, and that will yeah. be the case when Noah Vedral arrives at Rutgers. And, and you know, again, Rutgers had a I mean, quarterback. What, what, what do you think the backups did at Ohio State when Justin Fields got to town? That's you know? exa- Right. Justin Fields cleared the room. So that happens to... And again, when the presence, so so Keaton Slovis winning that job at USC pushes JT Daniel out the door. And now there's going to be a school that's going to look at JT Daniel and that has a full quarterback room and still think he's better than what I got. I'm going with that kid. I mean, it's a five-star kid with, low, you know, one season of mileage on him, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's 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 the thing with this. And that's what I think that's probably what excites and scares coaches about the possibility of this um, you know, being a one-time transfer exception world is you never know who might pop up there. And, and if, if, if a Justin Fields comes onto the market and if that starts happening more frequently, uh, there's definitely no loyalty with the guys you got. So let's hit on a couple more topics here. And one of them is a Tennessee is on fire on yes. the recruiting trail. Now, our bud, Bud Elliott, threw a little cold water on Tennessee's hot streak by sort of pointing out that, you know, Tennessee's recruiting rankings, if you go like per player average, not yeah. quite as far up on the top of the list. They have a ton of commits now, and that helps your recruiting average. And right now, I think they're sitting like right behind Ohio State as like number two in the country. Nonetheless, yeah. Jeremy Pruitt's doing some pretty damn good work, and they've had some big time players, guys who were. You know, who are four and five star players who absolutely would have been in the mix at the Ohio State's, Georgia's, and Alabama's and Clemson's of the world decide that they were going to jump on board with Tennessee. You know, Butch Jones had some good recruiting success and it didn't really work out. If I asked you, why should we be more optimistic about this Tennessee turn than we have in the past when we've tried to be optimistic about Tennessee's upswing? Yeah, it's it's this is really interesting what they've done so far. Now, the part of being the number two class in the country is they've already got twenty one commits on board, so they got more commits than anybody, right. and but that that sheer volume that ranking, helps. Obviously, yeah. sheer volume, sheer, helps. sheer volume absolutely helps. And and obviously, there's so much, uh, there's so many commitments going on on a daily basis right now because um, coaches are working their butts off every day in the Twitter DMs and and Facetimes and all that because that's they've got plenty of time to do so. And kids are sitting at home at bored. They're bored and they're they're you know can't go take these visits. So hey, may as well just make a commitment. So you know, will there be? I, I've seen a bunch of people bracing for there just being a ton of decommitments this fall, and and will that affect this Tennessee class? I guess I don't know. We'll see. But it's um there's a couple there's a couple pieces. Of this first of all, it's a reminder of um you know what a short memory uh, kids have when it comes to this stuff because. You know, where were we uh, last September on Jeremy Pruitt, Ralph? 
Yeah, I mean, quite yeah, right. I mean, it I mean, was like one bat, two weeks one into more the season, horrific loss away from it being game over, right? And so, yeah, yeah. I, the Vols did. I feel like they did just enough last season. And if you want to go through like the game by game of who they beat to to get to eight wins, wait, is it eight wins or nine wins? I think they, eight, they went to eight with a bowl win. Eight, so, eight with yeah. a bowl win. Yeah, okay. Indiana got uh, them to eight. That's right. That's right. Um, y- you can go through that and 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 maybe like squint your eyes a little bit at some of the teams they beat in in, in having that good finish. But um, clearly they did. Yeah, that's right. They won six in a row to finish. Um, clearly they did just enough to sort of help create this perception among kids that this thing is now pointing in the right direction. That Tennessee is is uh, not dealing with that 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 instability that they've had for these past few years um that they've really had to fight the perception on um but i also remember like before you know when jeremy Pruitt got the job i remember when we were down in atlanta for the national title game um alabama georgia and like you would talk to some of those veteran players on that alabama team like Rashawn evans and and those guys talked about jeremy pruitt in 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 the same breath as they did kirby smart just as a coach and as a recruiter and and and, and certainly as a recruiter so um, you look at his coaching staff, it's full of guys that can recruit their asses off. So I'm not surprised that once this thing got on some solid ground, uh, that he would, he, he would really get rolling in recruiting. Now, now the question is, can you win enough games to kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're selling the future here. You're selling some hope here. You, you, you now have to win enough games, uh, to, to make kids think that that's reality, you know? Right. Cause this one class is not enough to turn around your program. Uh, they have some talent there. They showed that they could com- could compete. Uh, but you add a a team that has some talent and maybe can compete, and you add a really great freshman class. But if you have another mediocre or worse season, you lose a lot of that momentum. And maybe there's sure. a window where that great freshman class can get you to a good season. But you know, again, in the SEC, one good class is not enough. Um, you'll you'll well, quickly and, and fall still, behind. You know. Even when these kids commit, you're still going to end up, you know, battling Georgia and LSU and Alabama and Auburn and all of your all of your familiar foes uh, to hold on to those kids. So you you've got to stack some wins to uh, to make these kids really feel convinced that they made the right call. You know, that's a really good point too. And, and Tennessee has also got, you know, they they play Alabama every year. They have the un, the you know the, the the misfortune of having to play Alabama every year. They have a trip. I think it's a trip to. Norman this year. Uh, I, I know they've they got Oklahoma. They're going to Norman week two. Yeah, they have the the brutal schedule of Oklahoma, Florida, and Georgia because that's their normal, and Alabama. You know, mm-hmm. all sitting there waiting for them. They do get lucky and they play Arkansas on the other side of the the, the division as opposed to let's say an LSU or a Texas A and M, which would be much better. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they move forward this year as far as, you know, taking the leap from last year. Now listen, I imagine they will probably do a little better against the Charlotte 49ers than they did against Georgia State in their opener. <laughs> but I'm looking at the schedule here. They've got to go they have to go to Troy on November 21st. No, 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 that, that's track. that's in Neyland. That's in Neyland. Oh, it's in Neyland. Oh, I'm sorry. That's it. Yes, you're right. That's it. That, that, what am I saying? Of course not. Yeah. yeah Troy, November 21st. That That's a nice little trap, though. Though, I right. will, though yes, that's an odd time because I know right, a lot of the SEC teams, they like to put that FBS, that low level, level FBS, yeah. that buy game in November. But that's an interesting team to slot there because that's <laughs> generally a pretty tough team. Usually you want to go a couple of rungs down if you're going to get them right your, after Georgia where you know you're going to get beat up. That's It's an interesting schedule for Tennessee. Yeah, um, yeah, I, and that Oklahoma game, it, 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 I certainly would love to see it. I think that'd be that'd be fascinating. Yeah, especially it, with Oklahoma breaking in a new quarterback. Right, and and Tennessee still has a lot of work to do as far as sorting out who their quarterback will be. But yeah, I'm just for some reason this feels different, and it feels like maybe this is something that could be built on long term. But again, I've been burned before. We've all sort of like had thought, oh, maybe this is the point where Tennessee comes back, and it's been. I mean, I think I looked, it was almost 20 years since Tennessee has had a double-digit win season. So at this point, you're going to have to show me. You're going to have to prove it. I'll believe you're back when I see you're back. Let well, me- and, and you look at their commit list here. They've got the number one recruit in the state of Alabama, Dylan Brooks, a defensive end committed to their class. That, uh, trust me, there's going to be a fight to hold on to those kind of guys the rest of the way. Okay, so now let's talk about Jim Harbaugh, who... 
uh, amid all the coronavirus stuff and whether we're going to play and all that mm-hmm. very difficult stuff to report out, um, which has kept us busy. What Jim Harbaugh provided us was just good old content, good old talk radio. Let's throw this out, this top, this offseason topic out there. Like this would have been perfect in a normal offseason. Jim Harbaugh sends an open letter to who anybody, anybody who wants to hear it, that he has all these great ideas about players entering the draft whenever they want. College football players, players transferring pretty much whenever they want with the one-time exception. But the main point was the, was the draft stuff, the idea that a college football players should not be restricted to having to wait until after three years into his career to enter the draft. A college football players should be allowed to enter the draft whenever they want, and if not drafted, they should be allowed to come back. Now, the NFL has a say in almost all of that. <laughs> So so it, so it's not a realistic plan and something that can happen but I'm just let, let's let's chew it over as if it was a normal off season. What do you think? Yeah, I mean I, I think that that piece of the proposal, the NFL draft stuff with with letting players go in whenever they want and and letting them come back if they what, what did he say was it if you're not the first 6 rounds? Yeah, I think it was 240 240th yeah. pick I believe it was. Okay. Okay. I I, I think to, to me that kind of falls in the category of like that would be cool in an ideal world if that were possible. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I think like I've, I've written a lot over the last couple of years about um, the problem of just the number of underclassmen um, that get bad advice and go into the NFL draft and, and go really late or go undrafted. It's the, the we get the same number pretty much every year. Thirty percent of the underclassmen that go into the draft go undrafted. And, and, and I'm certain a lot of those 30 percent. Um, probably should go back to school or wish they should go, wish they could go back to school. Um, so I, I, I love the idea of them being able to go back, but when you talk to, when you actually talk to coaches about the logistics of that, um, it's tricky. I mean, like, so first of all, this idea is we're, we're basically kind of borrowing ideas from the NBA, right? Mm -hmm. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I think that's what they're trying to do. Yep. The tough thing is the 85 scholarship limit because, um, like if you were to play out the the Jim Harbaugh fantasy, I think it would make a lot of sense that players should also then be able to you know go to the NFL Combine and after the Combine come back to school if they're not getting the feedback they think that they they should be getting. The problem is you have to sign a recruiting class to fill those holes, and then you have guys showing up either before you know in 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 my world where they come back after the combine you have guys showing up at the start of spring ball or after the draft you have guys showing up after spring ball um i don't i don't know how you account for that and plan for that and 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 keep you know state at or under the 85 limit um when you've got to replace those guys probably with transfers in a lot of cases and then those guys end up coming back to you so i don't really totally know how that works the timing of that stuff um but I don't want to poo-poo it because I kind of would like to see it, wouldn't you? I would, and not only the 85 limit, but the 25 limit. And this yeah. bridges into or or crosses into a conversation we're having about the transfer rules changing and how it's going to be necessary to also tweak the 25 signee cap per yeah, season. You have to relax that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there has to be some kind of uh, some mechanism to say oh, if you lose a transfer, you get to add a transfer. Even if you've signed 25, if you lose some players, we're going to give you some leeway here to replace those players through transfers. Uh, not only because it's good for the team, but because it's also very good for the players. Because it's because as as you've written about and others have talked, the portal is filling up and there's not enough spots for these kids Correct. even now. Because yeah. because again, you can only sign 25, so even if I have less than 85 total on my roster, I may have already signed my limit for this year, so I can't go back and fill those spots. So they need to do some adjusting on those on those things, and you would absolutely need to do it if you were to let kids come back from exploring their draft, the NFL possibilities, and then you need to have the ability to do it even farther. Like you'd be you'd be asking teams to sort of hold spaces or. Right. Can, not even hold space. Well, I guess to a certain degree you might, right? If you're a team, you might decide, you know what? Okay, who's in the draft this year? I identify 15 kids that I think will be coming back. 
right? Because you'll you'll do mm-hmm. your homework, right? You'll make your phone calls and you'll try to figure out through you know back channels, hey, well, how serious you think this kid is about staying in the draft, right? So so if you're a, if you're a coach that you know you might think, okay, I, I've identified ten or fifteen kids or maybe even five kids that I really like, and if they come back, you know what, I'm going to hold the scholarship open for that. But how long? Yeah. Now you're talking about doing it into the spring. Like after spring <laughs> practice, it just becomes a very different type of roster management. Now, I would also say, hey, man, you're making you know $4 million a year. Deal with it. It might be interesting to see how it plays out. It would be really interesting and fun. But I also understand that th- there are limitations to that or there are problems inherent with that that maybe, you know, who knows? And also, what are the un- unintended consequences of that? Well, I mean, and you've seen the last couple of years here, um, the way that college basketball players declare for the NBA draft is like really strange now where they announce they're entering the draft, but in, in, in most cases they end up pulling out. Right. And right. so do you, without an agent, I don't think the yeah. college football world wants any part of that. Uh, I think Nick Saban would be pretty upset if he had suddenly twice as many guys, um, you know, declaring that they want to explore where they're at in the draft and then, you know, decide to come back later on point. and miss spring ball and stuff too. like that, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so there, there's there's elements of that that are interesting. But but at the same time, like, th- there is some, there's definitely some truth to what Jim Harbaugh is aiming for here. And I think over the years, I think it's a very natural thing we talk about all the time, Ralph, of, of well, well, why should Miles Garrett have to play another season? Why should Trevor Lawrence have to play another season? There's 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 not a lot of cases... When you talk about guys going pro um, um, earlier than three years, there's not a lot of cases every year where you feel like, um, you know, that that oh yeah, this guy's a no-brainer first rounder, even if he, you know, even if he didn't have that extra season. Um, but there's enough of them that it's worth having that conversation. Yes, without question. I mean, we've been talking about Trevor Lawrence and how you know he probably would have been a first-round draft pick two years ago, and Jadavian Clowney, basically, uh, I mean, practically coming out of high school looked like a guy who might have been a high draft pick, right? I mean, again, they're, they're, yeah. they're not, they're rare. They're getting less rare because of the nature of development of high school football players and just evolution. <laughs> Quite frankly, like these kids are, are, are entering college bigger, stronger, and more well-developed than ever before. So it, I think it's fair to start looking at that and having that conversation. The other element of this is, of course, is the NFL side of it, not just because it's the NFL's call, but listen, the NFL has decided that it's just not going to pay for what it gets for free, right? It, it right. It's not going to pay yeah. to develop its players because it doesn't need to pay to develop its players. I think you can make an, an, an argument about the ethics of that, quite frankly. I really do. I think you can yeah, make an argument yeah. about the ethics of running a business that is so dangerous and not paying people to be developed and trained for your business, right? And having that done for free. But I also understand I'm, you know, I'm I'm a capitalist myself. So I also understand that there's no business model that says you should start paying for something that you can get for free. Like that's not that's that's <laughs> which never... is how we lead to this clash we now have with college basketball and the NBA and and the um these these fat G League offers and all that stuff. Why you, you you're right, you said from the start it definitely would take a lot of um, cooperation, collaboration between uh, the NFL and and uh, you know the Power Five or, or, or autonomy or whoever you want to call that that makes these kind of decisions to to set something like that up. The NBA is realizing it's in their best interest to get into the market because they they already experienced this. They understand that there are kids who can go from high school to the pros, and it, it makes yeah. sense for yeah. the for the NBA to get these kids in a development system because they're probably only a year away from being able to contribute at the highest level. And of course, there's also not that many of them. You only need 15 guys on an NBA roster and and really only about 10 of those guys have to be able to play. So it makes sense for the NBA to enter this market more. It makes a lot sense, a lot less sense for the NFL to do it. The one argument I had always heard, I don't, I don't live in the NFL world very much, um, unlike some of our colleagues like Bruce or Bruce Feldman mm-hmm. or Pete Thamel, who sort of have good contacts in both worlds, the NFL and, and college. I don't live that much in the NFL world. But I remember a couple of years ago somebody telling me, like, he thought that there was probably more momentum towards having some type of developmental league than ever before because coaches were just getting very frustrated with the, with the players that they were getting from college. Yeah. Now, I would also say, like, 
maybe that's because you're not smart enough to use them the way they were used in college. And we're seeing a lot of more of that now. So it was a lot of people who are like shaking their fists. Why can't he drop back? And why doesn't this guy run block the way I want him to do? As opposed to saying, well, we know what he can do because of what he's been doing in college. We're just going to do what they did in college. And a lot Mm -hmm. of NFL teams are doing that now. But I do wonder if at a certain point, NFL teams will see some value in their developing players in the way they believe is best, as opposed to just leaving it up to these colleges, which aren't necessarily developing toward the NFL. Like, that's not their main goal. Their main goal is to win, right? Is to win games. Right. As opposed to making sure that that guy is ready to play in your league. Well, and, and, you know, and and then this ties into... Um, what we just witnessed happen with the AAF and the XFL, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think I think it would be a great thing for college football players if there was a legitimate developmental league that could get you to the NFL and um, to see both of those fail. Now, obviously, failed for different reasons, um, but to see both of those not make it through an entire season, um, I, I don't know if that discourages the NFL from saying, well, why would we – why w- wouldn't this just be a money pit for us too if we tried to do this? Um, but you wish that existed because then I, I think that would actually support um, the world that that Harbaugh wants to live in a lot better. Right, and if there's one league that can fill a pit with money, it's the NFL. Right, I mean, <laughs> if right. they really wanted to to take on this responsibility, they absolutely could. They just choose not to. But yeah, it was. It, it, listen again. Thanks to Coach Harbaugh for giving us something to talk about for a few days, and when and for no and sports. for putting it in writing and being very clear. Right, I, I appreciate. Uh, <laughs> I, I would love to see more coaches. Uh, put their proposals in writing and put it out to the world like that. No doubt, no doubt. I like I like having Harbaugh around. I know he gets a he gets he gets a lot of grief for not beating Ohio State, but I like Harbaugh as part of college football. Yeah, Max, that was a great conversation. We covered a lot of ground. And I kept you for a really long time, but Max Olson from the Athletic, thanks so much for being uh, with me today and talking some serious stuff, some not so serious stuff, and uh, stay healthy and stay safe, Max. Hey, chatting with you was an extremely uh, welcome distraction, so I appreciate (laughs) it, buddy. And now, three and out. First down. On a personal note, I had to make a trek into Manhattan today because I needed to get something from the AP offices, which are downtown across the street from the Freedom Tower. And they are also completely empty. Everybody is working from home, and I decided I didn't want to take the subway which are mostly pretty empty. I've gone out on them just a couple of times in the last few months. But I decided I would try to do even the safer thing and to drive to downtown to pick something up from the offices. I was strangely heartened to discover that even in a global pandemic, one of the greatest crises this country and my hometown, New York City in particular, has ever faced, I still can't find a damn parking spot in lower Manhattan. It provided an odd sense of normalcy to pay 30 bucks to park my car for four hours. Second down, more transfer news that caught my attention in the past few days. How about East Carolina and new coach Mike Houston uh, landing running back Chase Hayden from Arkansas and former Alabama cornerback Nigel Knott? I'm always a bit cautious, and I try to caution fans not to get too excited about transfers. I think sometimes we overvalue these players because they are new and shiny toys. Still, for an ECU program that has fallen on hard times, grabbing a couple of SEC players seems like a nice way to fill some holes. Third down. One more tip as you try to navigate the slow drip of news about what the upcoming season might look like. When you see or hear yet another headline about somebody saying something about next season, think to yourself, where is this person on the decision tree? How much influence does he or she have? How much knowledge does he or she have about what's being talked about and what is going on, not just with the pandemic, but inside college sports? How specific is the information they are giving? Have I heard this information before? Then you might be able to determine how useful that information is. And if the information is coming from a coach, I would say just be careful. Because in most cases, a coach could fall off the decision tree and not break a bone because he is so far down it. 
That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast at Apple Podcasts and Westwood One Podcast, just about anywhere you like to get your podcasts. Please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer for the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. Regions, member FDIC.